0: Welcome to the Women on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Sam Saperstein. We're back in Davos at the World Economic Forum, where we kicked off the podcast in 2020. I'm so excited to share with you my conversations this year with amazing leaders who are driving global change. In this episode, I'm speaking with Francine Katsudis, Executive Vice President and Chief People, Policy and Purpose Officer at Cisco. She shared with us her journey throughout Cisco, how they empower managers in a hybrid workplace, and why they include mental health professionals in company meetings to support a culture of wellness. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Francine, welcome to the Women on the Move podcast here in Davos we were recording. It is so nice to see you here. It's nice to see you too. Thank you. So you have been at Cisco for a long time and we would love to hear about your career journey. So tell us about the whole Cisco evolution and what you're doing today. It has
1: been a journey. When I started with the company, I started in our contact center. That was over 25 years ago, if you can believe that. I joined despite the fact that I didn't have a lot of technical background. And my first job was providing first-level technical support. And the reason that I share that is I have such gratitude to the leader that hired me because she believed that I could learn it. And I think that is so incredibly important. And I would say over the last 25 years, I've moved around a ton. Something that I learned early on was that there was power in collecting experiences. And so I would have one role and I would capture, okay, what have I learned on this role and what do I still need to learn? And I think that focus on learning really helped to navigate me through the company And it was probably about 15 or so years ago where that curiosity then led me to the people organization. And I didn't know a lot about HR or people and the opportunity to learn that and to understand this complex balance between how you take care of your people and how you run your business was intriguing. And I worked all the way through different roles within the organization, landed as the chief people officer years and years later. Later. And now I'm very fortunate. My remit is one where I focus on people, policy, and purpose. And what that means is that together with our team, we focus on how our people organization, how government affairs, how real estate, how building a digital agenda all come together in service of our company and our purpose, which is to power an inclusive future for all.
0: I love how you talked about collecting experiences and building on those skills. It sounded like you were really deliberate about that, even at early stages in your career. How did you even know to focus on that? And when you think about the skills that you transferred from one job to the next, what were some of those core skills?
1: I think I was so hungry to be successful or to just learn something that was so very new that I started cataloging. In the very beginning, it was pretty basic. It was something like, okay, I have experience talking to customers. I've never run a large cross-functional project. How do I do that? At points, it was things like, how do I learn how to negotiate a contract? Other elements, I want to learn how an outsourcing project is successful. And so these were the types of things that I started to collect and catalog. That's continued throughout my career.
0: That is amazing. And did you have mentors or sponsors along the way who helped bounce ideas off of you and help you take those skills from one place to the next? Absolutely. I tell this story a lot. My first mentor, she was pretty
1: amazing in that I was by far the most junior member of this team. And in the meetings, she would always say, hey, Fran, I'd love your thoughts. And it used to throw me off a little bit. And what she taught me was you always have to be ready for that question. What is your thought? What is your perspective? What question do you have? Later when I asked her, okay, why did you do that? And she said, because I thought you had a lot to say. And so for me, having a mentor like that early on that showed me the way to create room for everyone, not the more senior people around the table, but everyone was a tremendous learning. And then after that, I think I even got a little bit more I would say formal, around both mentoring relationships and sponsorship, which were were huge for me. Meaning you actually sought them out on purpose for yourself? I sought them out, and with the mentorship, I was really clear around what I thought I wanted to learn from an individual, and so I would see someone do something in a meeting, and I would just say, wow, that was really impressive. Could I spend some time and learn how did you do that? And people were always really open, and then on the sponsorship side, it became a little bit more around career velocity and roles and seeking help around how do I do that.
0: That's great that you found that also, and that was really working for you and helping you in in such a long career there. So you're the Chief People Policy and Purpose Officer, as you told us, and that seems like it has a lot more going on than managing people only. So how did that remit come together? Has it always been what that role did at Cisco, or have you really pulled in more over time? Yeah, we pulled in more. The team has been together for about two
1: years. I will tell you that there's elements of how we navigated through COVID that probably helped us to understand the power of bringing some of these organizations together. If you take a topic as an example, like hybrid work, There is a real estate element of that. How do you use the space that you have? How do you architect it to bring people together, to even be inclusive? From a people perspective, what are the practices that allow people to be at their best, whether they're sitting at home, at a cafe, or in the office? How do you ensure that those offices are sustainable? and that you're doing everything that you can to help our planet. And so that's an example of how these issues were coming up where we realized we could be so much more strategic if we looked holistically. From a learning perspective, I had a lot of interest in these areas, and I was fortunate in that our CEO saw the benefit of pulling that together. Since that time, I would say what we have realized is that there's something so powerful around taking a strategic agenda like policy and purpose and intersecting it with your people.
0: Oh, that is great. Where are you coming out on right now on hybrid work, work balance? What is the company's policies? The first thing that I would say is as a company, we were fortunate in that our
1: technology enabled us to be virtual for years upon years. And so we had even historically the data that told us that whether someone was remote or on-site, their promotion velocity within the company was the same. We were able to feel confident in that way of working, the approach that we have within the company is to really focus on the work and what is best as it relates to the team. And so we've basically decentralized that decision. We ask leaders to make the best decision for their team. We also ask them to experiment. I think all of us have learned so much. And what I thought even a year ago about how we were going to be working and what I think I know now has changed a lot. And so we try to create this quarterly review of, hey, what's working and not working and how we work? And so across Cisco, you'll see teams that really believe that location is secondary. You'll see teams that believe it's critical to the work that they do. And the only ask that we have of our leaders is tie it to the work and use data in your decision. Does that make employees feel better about it? They can get on board and understand? Yeah, because if a leader basically says, come into the office, But at Employee, what they're doing is they're on video chats with people or they're doing email. They're going to question why. If a leader says, hey, we have a sprint and we have found that when we're together in a room, more people can jump into the conversation, a team member is going to say, I'd love to do that. The only other thing I would say is I do think a lot of us miss some of the connections that we had. And I think we're trying to figure out the right way to create that again.
0: Remotely or when people aren't together as much as they could be. That's right. An evolving question, I think, that we're all struggling with. So, I'm interested in your views on HR as a function and the changes over time. What have you seen in terms of any differences in terms of the analysis, the tools that have changed, or the skills required to do these jobs?
1: Yeah, I think the HR profession, which I absolutely adore, has gone through a few different chapters. I think a chapter that we all think about when we think about HR is risk mitigation. I think there was another chapter which was about experience, which I think brought about a lot of innovation and great technology as well to drive that experience. I think as we went through the pandemic, the chapters were about well-being. I think there was a safety element to our role. And all the while I I think for strategic companies, there's this understanding that when you couple your business strategy with conversations about your people and culture, I think you're going to get there a lot faster. I think you're going to get there in a differentiated way. And
0: really, that's the role of the HR organization. Did you find you needed to have new conversations with your managers about things like well-being and the things that you say kind of came up as a result of the pandemic? And if so, how did you go about training?
1: This is probably one of the hardest things that I think all of us face is that the role of our leaders has evolved a lot. I think it will continue to evolve, meaning that our leaders now, I think, have to be a bit more customized as it relates to how they approach every individual. As we went through the pandemic, we asked our leaders to understand, how are your people doing? What do they have going on? Check in on them, right? I think we got rid of this belief that there's a one-size-fits-all approach to leadership as a company, we focus a lot on strengths. And so the other expectation that we have of leaders is you have to understand the strengths of your people. You have to understand what makes them special and differentiated and how you play them to their best. In order to help leaders get there, it has to be a constant conversation. I think you have to educate, but it's not like one training session and you're done. And so The way that we do it at Cisco, our CEO is incredibly engaged in that. He helps our people to understand that it's okay. Your first job is to focus on your people. We meet with our teams, for the most part, monthly. And in those monthly meetings, we work with our leaders on skills. We try to give them key questions they can ask their teams. But yeah, there's a lot of investment there.
0: It's so interesting to hear you talk about focus on strengths. And I say that because I think maybe 10, 15 years ago, when we talked about feedback in the corporate setting, we were focused on the opportunity areas people had. What are the developmental needs they had? But you can see the research more going towards the strengths. Talk about that, play up the strengths, not necessarily focus on the weaknesses. Is that where you've evolved to when you talk about the strengths piece?
1: It is. And I will tell you, I remember there was a period, probably about 10 or 12 years ago, where I felt like, my goodness, the amount of time that we spend on opportunities, and we almost ignore the 85% of what someone is doing so well. I think that's a big shift. I also think that when you focus on strengths, it is part of an innovation agenda. And I think when you focus on opportunities, You drive a little bit of, I think, fear in the organization. The right balance here is what you want is you want individuals to seek out feedback, and you want that to be a part of your culture. When someone is seeking out feedback, they don't have that fight or flight response to feedback that all of the research tells us exists. And I think that's what we try to create from an environmental perspective.
0: Let's talk about diversity. How do you manage diversity? Do you set targets for the organization? And if so, how do you hold managers accountable for those targets? Diversity is
1: something that you have to have a plan that goes up and down the organization to make progress. And the reason I say that is for so many years, we heard about all of the efforts that many companies like Cisco were taking, but we didn't always see the results. One, that was because we didn't have the formal plans, and we didn't tie those plans to compensation, which I also think is really important. The approach that we take is we work with every leader within our executive leadership team. Based on their organization, the diversity of their representation in their organization, they make a plan for their team. And then we push that plan down. We educate, we inform our teams. We also hold our teams accountable from a recruitment perspective around things like, you have to have a diverse interview panel. You should have a very diverse candidate slate. And what we found at Cisco is that we have the metrics to show that when the panel is diverse, you have a 50 to 70% higher chance of hiring someone who's
0: diverse as well. Amazing. That is a real result, like a real outcome you can measure. And so it sounds like you really drive that accountability pretty far down into the organization, would you say, to middle managers? Absolutely. If not, I would say direct
1: team leaders. There's even programs that we have. There's one that has been really powerful for us where we take a group of employees, let's say our black employees, and we have a leadership session where they bring their leaders. And their leaders sit and listen to what it's like to be a Black employee at Cisco. What are those experiences? I always feel like in that class, it's the leaders that learn more. You have to create those opportunities for learning. You also have to make it okay for people to get coaching and to improve. And I think so long, there was such hesitancy to jump into some of these
0: topics that we hurt ourselves. That's so interesting. We're focusing a lot at JPMorgan Chase on diversity as well, specifically in the technology area. And so I'm interested in your perspective in a technology company. Where do you see the issues facing women when it comes to representation? Is it on the hiring side, the development side, the promotion side, all of the above, or is there one area you're most focused on? I hate to say it, but I think it's
1: all of the above
0: and that we should look at it that
1: way. I was mentoring someone a few weeks ago. She's a diverse talent in the organization, and she shared with me that her leader is being helpful but keeps kind of referring her to roles that are not technical. That's an example of something that we just have to talk through. So I do think you absolutely have to look at hiring. That is an amazing opportunity for organizations. You have to look at your attrition. What is your attrition telling you about the environment, around opportunities that you have to improve? And then you have to look at those programs that are driving the biggest impact. There are a couple of programs that we have at Cisco where we know that when we have our talent go through, the likelihood of their promotion goes up, from a timing perspective. And then we also see that their retention is a lot higher as well. And so when you find that you have those results to your question earlier about data and analytics, you have to lean into that.
0: So tell us more about that. What are you either teaching to the participants or are you doing something with their managers also so that the managers create the culture for greater promotion? So in those sessions in particular,
1: I think what we're doing is creating community. And I think that that community stays with the employee as they go back into their role. For all of us, we want to have those people around us in different organizations within our own that we can go to, that we can check in. So if I had to distill it, I would say there's great offerings and there's great benefits, but it's the community that I think is the sticky element of that.
0: So I've read about Cisco's conscious culture, really the deliberateness around that. Is that what you're talking about? So yeah, our conscious culture is this belief that every single
1: employee owns the culture. We as a company have to focus on the environment. We have to focus on the experience and our principles. Part of how we do that is we have to be really overt in talking about what's not working. And I think when you do that, you build trust with your teams. And they know that if there's something that you can do better, that you're willing to work it because you were willing to say it in front of the entire company. And so I do think that's an element of our conscious culture. I think it's something that our people are really proud of. And what it drives is a lot of engagement around how we can be better.
0: And do you actually ask people outright, what could we do better? Do you do surveys around that? How do you get to that answer? I'm
1: laughing a little bit because, of course, we do both.
0: We do surveys and we ask, but
1: sometimes people will ask me, is it hard when we're having a meeting to see some of the comments in chat or some of the tough questions? And at the end of the day, if you believe that they make the company better, it's not that hard. And there's just a lot of things at the moment that I think we have to work through from a broader industry and society perspective that kind of intersects with our work.
0: So you have previously raised this question, in my day-to-day business dealings, how can I show up for my community? And you just talked about the value of training when it really promotes community. So how do you answer that? What else does that community look like and feel like to you when it's done well?
1: Yeah, I think the ability for us to define community first, both internally and externally, has been powerful. What we find is that our employees have a lot of passion about giving back to the community. And so many of the issues connect. And so when we look at what we do as a company, one of the biggest areas of focus for us is really, how do we play a role in ending the digital divide? And that's a great example of how we get very engaged in the community around education. And then internally, we're focused with our teams around how do we reskill? How do we build? And so that's a great example, I think, of how you take something that you're focused on internally and then you push that out to the community as well. I would say that our employees are really engaged, and what we find is that community is an area of passion that's pretty personal. And so we see a lot of giving whether it's from a healthcare perspective, an education perspective, trying to help those that are not housed. There's many issues that we're engaged in.
0: So I'd love to talk to you a little bit about leadership and ambition. You talked about in your career, always wanting to do more, learn more. What does ambition mean to you? And would you describe yourself as an ambitious person?
1: Yeah, I've never thought that word was a bad word. I think it's a great word. First of all, for those that are ambitious, I think you have to lean into that. I think you have to be honest with what you want. I always remember I had this really awkward situation where... I was asked in a meeting early in my career what I wanted to do or what level I wanted to get to. And I remember saying something like, one day I hope to be a vice president in this organization. And the person that asked me the question looked at me like, there is no way. It was such a big jump at the time from where I was. And I think there's something in voicing what it is that you want that kind of helps bring it to you as well. I think ambition together with a plan can be really meaningful and that ambition doesn't have to be about levels within the organization. It can be around learning, it can be about becoming an expertise in your area. It's something that I think is important.
0: We've talked to a lot of guests around defining ambition for themselves So not only saying yes I'm ambitious and by the way people are all over on that spectrum where they say yes I am or yes I am but I don't really admit that I'm motivated. But we also ask, what are you ambitious for? And I think for many women, that definition of ambition is so important. It doesn't necessarily have to be the C-suite or a job per se, but maybe it's a life or a vision they have for themselves.
1: Yeah, I think the one thing that I hear a lot and I personally feel this way is it's ambition for impact. And sometimes the impact is around the work and how many people you can touch with the work or lives that you can change, I think that in service of is an important part of that dialogue too. So leadership. Tell me about the qualities that you
0: believe a great leader should have.
1: So the first thing is I think a leader needs to listen. Understanding the experience is critical. Alongside that, I would say empathy is incredibly important from a leadership perspective. Clarity. Sometimes people, back to the hybrid work discussion, they may not agree with what a leader is recommending, but that clarity is meaningful. Brene Brown says clarity is kind. I tend to agree with that. The other thing that I would say is, Leadership is about followers. And so being the best for your team and being invested in their growth and their development, I think is critical.
0: So we learn from great leaders, of course, but we also learn from not so great leaders about the things that we shouldn't do. Tell me about a time where you observed a leader exhibiting something you would not call great leadership and what did you take away from that or did you do anything about it? When I first started at the company,
1: there was a leader that I worked for that didn't always treat people the best. I remember having a lot of empathy in seeing that, and I remember thinking, don't ever let people feel that way. I do think at the time, I have to tell you, I was so early in career that the only thing that I could do, I felt, at the time, was support those that found themselves in a difficult place. Over time, and it took, some time, I found the courage to talk to that leader, but it's hard. And I do think that when we see something like that, this is another thing you can catalog and you can say, okay, what's behind that? And how do I ensure that I don't do that?
0: Did it take you time just to have experience at the company or become a more senior person yourself to feel like you could confront that person? Yeah, I think it was a courage thing. And I do
1: think there was probably a context. What I ended up doing was sharing with her how it didn't help her. And for what she was trying to achieve, engaging people that way wasn't going to get the results that she wanted. And I think my thought at that time was that I had a chance of getting through to her.
0: Yes, I would imagine that's, that's a classic negotiations framework, right? What can it do for you? Did it resonate? Was she open to the feedback?
1: It was mixed. And you have to be willing to give that feedback or to share your experience. I know that sometimes it's going to have great impact and sometimes it isn't. But when I finally spoke up, it was because I was advocating for peers.
0: There's been a lot of discussion around things like self-care, and you referred to that, that managers really have to open themselves up to that. And Cisco has really incorporated that into the company culture. What does that look like for employees? So if I'm an employee of Cisco, how do I see a focus on self-care come through in my day-to-day? The first thing that you see is that for every company
1: meeting, we have a mental health practitioner on with us. Which we do monthly. I love this. What will end up happening is we'll take questions about hey, what's our strategy for security? Where are we going? Hey, there's this new program. Oh, wait, we have a question for Dr. Zane. Dr. Zane, there's a question here about how do you handle anxiety? Having heard there signals that it's okay to ask that question and that that's part of life and how we work. And so that's the first thing. And it's a signal, in addition to an amazing way for us to address issues. then the other thing that I would say is we leverage technology. We leverage Thrive as a way to help our people remember to take care of themselves, whether that's reminding them to exercise or drink water, whatever it may be, focus on their growth or development. And then, of course, there are other offerings from a benefits perspective. We do more and more around well-being. It is something that I worry about. And I think that as we went into the pandemic, a lot of people initially, because we had no place to go, started to work a lot more. And I think for a lot of people, we're just still trying to figure out our balance. Yeah,
0: and how do you maybe pull back from that into more of an equilibrium again? Do you have any interesting or new policies or benefits for women in particular that you use to not only address their self-care and needs, but that you use to try to have as a recruiting tool?
1: Yeah, from a recruitment perspective, one of the things that we do is we go out to women that have left us or left the workforce and we create a lot of flexibility for how they come back to us. And so that's something that has been really nice for the company. My big belief here is that when you look at employees in general or women, you have to look at both what do you do from a system perspective And then what do you do from an individual perspective? And so the system has to do things to help our employees in addition to hopefully empowering them to make the right calls as well. From a women perspective, and we're excited about this, we just finished a body of work with Female Quotient around resilience. And our data at the beginning of the pandemic told us that from a well-being perspective, women were struggling quite a bit. As a result of that, we have launched things like emergency time off, where if you just need to step away, you can step away. That's for all employees, but just giving them permission when life requires you to do more personally, that it's okay to do that. I think there's a lot of support and community that we bring to women and to all of our employees that I think has been meaningful at this time. And then the other thing that we do is we try to have really meaningful conversations around career. All of us care a ton about our career. And when we can have conversations about what's not working or working or how we support each other through that, that's
0: been meaningful too. And do those career conversations include modeling what's possible, particularly for women? Yeah, to your question, what we recognize is that
1: there's nothing more powerful than seeing role models at every level of the company that represent you. Absolutely. That's a part of it. We have to be careful too. From a women in leadership perspective, we're all very different. And so the beauty in engaging and talking to so many women is you're going to see different paths and different ways of doing things. And we have all of us the ability to say, okay, that role model, that's for me.
0: So Francine, you mentioned work that you're doing with the female quotient. And I'm curious, can you tell us more about that? Is there anything new you're launching or what findings you came out with?
1: Yeah, there were a couple of findings that were really interesting. So the first was we were able, through the research, to demonstrate that for women, resiliency in your personal life is connected to resiliency in your career. And that this belief that there's a separate home and work, Fran, or life really doesn't exist. And that resiliency in one carries over to the other. It was powerful to see that. The other thing that we saw, which I think is so interesting for all of us, is that 30% of the women that participated shared that they plan to leave their role within the next six months. And what they said was that when they don't feel respected, when they don't feel that the culture is a fit, that even in these economic times that feel a little bit more bumpy... Than a few years ago, they're still willing to leave. And so I think it's a good reminder for all of us that we need to focus in these areas. And I would just say, I mean, we really enjoy doing this work with Female Quotient. I think the discussion around resiliency, I think, is incredibly important. When we looked at the resilience of caregivers, it was higher than people that are not in that role
0: today. That is a wow. So does that mean that if you're able to be a caregiver and deal with all the ups and downs on that, you somehow are building greater resiliency? That's what the research showed. And what I really like
1: about that is, I think it allows us to talk about caregivers in a different way. Sometimes we talk about it in a way that there's almost this deficit of time or attention. And I think the way we could be talking about it is that there's a core within our companies, these caregivers, that are powerhouses as it relates to resiliency, which is pretty amazing.
0: It is profound, actually, and if you find more there, I think so many people would love to know about that. The fact that what we struggle with as caregivers, which sometimes seems overwhelming to get it all done, a sick child, sick parent, knowing that that's making us stronger and better and that translates into the work world, That feels like a relief to me to hear. Yeah, it's
1: funny. Ever since we got the research back, I've been thinking a little bit about when I first had my kids, it did force me to work differently and maybe even more strategically around where I spent my time. And maybe there's a bit of that in the research that we're seeing as well.
0: I'm curious, as we wrap up here, what's on your agenda for 2023? What are the priorities for you this year?
1: Yeah, so one of the biggest priorities that we have is around hybrid work. We're going to continue to lean into not only the technology, but the insights that help our leaders make the best decisions about how their teams can be at their best. The other thing that we'll be focused on is something that we call resilient communities. And it's really how do we show up to the communities in a way that we build lasting success. And so again, one example around that is education. And so you'll see us define resilient communities and then really lean in on everything that we're doing. And then the last thing of course is really focusing on our people, taking this conversation around well being and career growth, hopefully to the next level.
0: Well, I think in a year of anxiety we've already had, and more to come, that that will be very well received by employees and, and by your broader communities and partners. So thank you, Francine, for joining me and speaking about your career. It's been a pleasure.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you for
0: having me. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Fran. The research that Cisco has done with the female quotient highlighting the resiliency of women is remarkable, and I'm excited to see the additional findings. I'm grateful to Fran for sharing her journey, and I'm inspired by the impact that she's having at Cisco. The mission of Women on the Move is to help women in their professional and personal lives. Our goal is to introduce you to people with great ideas, inspiring stories, and a passion to make a difference. To learn more about Women on the Move and listen to the full library of this podcast, please visit jpmorganchase.com W-O-T-M. For JPMorgan Chase's Women on the Move, I'm Sam Saperstein. JPMorgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC.